Hello! Welcome to another episode of Vertigo Voices. Greetings, all. On this windy fucking day. <laughs> if it sounds like we're going to blow away, we just might. Yeah. It's really windy, and you can hear the, like, vent in my kitchen, um, I don't know, smacking away. So, I hope that's not too distracting, because it's really fucking distracting to me. <laughs> <laughs> We'll just attribute it to the ghosts in your apartment because I know you really buy into the supernatural. Yeah, there's ghosts. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the time I went on a like ghost tour of Spokane? No. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> this guy, this guy named Chet. I can't remember his last name because my friend Chris and I just refer to him as Chet Ghostman. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, like just stupid shit. Like, oh, one time on this street corner, someone saw a ghost. <laughs> This building is old, yeah. so there must be ghosts. <laughs> he was specifically talking about this one building in town that, it, truth be told, it does have a weird history. In the 90s, I think, the um, like maintenance guy in this apartment complex was a serial killer. Oh. Like, that's true, and that really happened. But the way, like, the story that he told about it is completely made up. Like, he claims that some fucking psychic homeless person found out that he was the killer and all this bullshit. And as he's talking, I had my phone up and <laughs> reading the truth. Like, this is bullshit. And I'm like, no. Um, the reason that the guy was caught is because he was already in jail for statutory rape. Oh. <laughs> and, uh... Yeah, the cops were, like, doing their due diligence, so they went to the apartment complex and were, like, interviewing his neighbors, and they're like, oh, yeah, he's a serial killer, too. <laughs> like, yeah, look in the basement. Like, we hear noises. <laughs> and, yeah, sure enough. So, anyway. <laughs> All right. That's, uh, uh, yeah, a little, little history of Spokane. <laughs> Our serial killers. You're welcome. <laughs> Tune in for more. Yeah. So, uh, I want to start the episode off. I don't want this to be a fucking thing, but... Apparently has to be now. Um, I have to start with an apology um, oh. because uh, last episode I apparently ran my mouth a little bit and was contacted by someone. Um, so I feel like I need to apologize now. Um, so this is an apology to uh, the micro penis community <laughs> because um, apparently micro penis owners <laughs> don't like insinuations that they're fans of Frank Miller. <laughs> You know, that's fair. That's kind of fair. <laughs> so, uh, I got a message that, hey, I'm a micropenis. I, as someone who has a micropenis, I'm offended by this. <laughs> it's okay to, uh, it's okay to have a micropenis, but, you know, Frank Miller has put out some questionable stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's things you can control about your life, and there's things that you can't. Exactly. And, uh, I apologize to micropenis owners for, having the audacity to think that you may be fans of Frank Miller. And that's that's on me. I'm sorry. So anyway, I'm, I'm hoping that I don't need to do an apology next week. I guess we'll see. It's very humble of you. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple other news things. One of them, um, did you hear about the casting for the new Black Adam movie? No. There's, I mean, they've been casting for like a year. And I think I mentioned this before, maybe not, um, that The Rock has been cast in this role for over a decade now. He was cast well before the current DC film slate existed. Um, I think it was 2007 that he was cast in the role. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and in fact, I know that's the case because I just looked it up a couple weeks ago because <laughs> I told that to somebody and they did not believe me. <laughs> so I like went back and found the uh, original like announcement in Variety or whatever. The new cast member is Pierce Brosnan oh. as Dr. Fate. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Kent Nelson, Dr. Fate. He, you know, his helmet was in the uh, 
Constantine pilot that we watched. He shows up in Books of Magic. I'm sure he's probably in a couple other Vertigo stories here and there. Um, one of those mystical characters in the DC universe. So yeah, he's going to be in Black Adam. That's cool. That could be fun. We hope it is. It looks like this movie's actually going to get made this time. Because again, it's only been in production for 13 years. <laughs> so um, yeah, that, that should be cool. Um, and okay, another fucking piece of news. I mean, this is... <laughs> This is funny, but it goes back to something that's not. Um, have you heard about Release the Zemo Cut? Release the Zemo Cut? <laughs> yes. I have not. So obviously this is kind of piggybacking on a joke about uh, Release the Snyder Cut. But in the second most recent episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier, they reintroduced Baron Zemo into the MCU after, uh, what, Civil War? So anyway, they bring him back. There's a scene where he's like walking through a party and, like, music's playing, and he kind of, like, pumps his fist to the music for a second. And in a interview, like, it's cut. It's all chopped up because it's supposed to be, like, a frantic party scene. And there's just one quick scene of him just going, like, yeah, like, feeling the beat. And uh, in an interview with Daniel Brühl, who plays the character, he said, like, yeah, that, that was just a little ad-lib for me. because I figured it would be funny because Zemo spent, like, eight years in prison. Felt like it would, like, if he heard music, he'd really want to dance to it because he hasn't been able to move in so long. And he goes, in reality, that scene goes way longer. Like, I just, I just ad-libbed a whole dance routine, um, but they just use that little snippet. And so because of that interview, somebody immediately said, release the Zemo cut. <laughs> <laughs> and Marvel, being an insanely good sport about it, their commercial for next week's episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier, or their little ad online, is literally just 30 seconds of him dancing. Like, <laughs> the, like the reintegrated, deleted scenes of him dancing on the dance floor and everything. And then, not to outdo themselves, they then took that and turned it into an hour-long YouTube video. <laughs> but of course. <laughs> I just love how that, they did that in like a day. Like, so they're like, release the Zemo cut. And they're like, okay, here you go. <laughs> See, that's an example of where giving the fans what they want is, is you know, is due. It's, it's... <laughs> yeah. Well, it's them just completely in on the joke and, and having fun with it, with the fans. Right. Instead of this whatever tug of war WB's got going on with their weird fans. <laughs> <laughs> Strange toxic dynamic. Yeah. But anyway, I just thought that was really fucking funny. And you should look it up on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Make your day better. Yeah. I will, yeah. Uh, and I keep putting this off because the Snyder Cut episodes took fucking forever. But I mentioned that we got a Podbean comment that I need to mention. So this is from user Redpenny. And she, uh, this was on, uh, well, I say she, I... I have no idea. Um, okay. just, I guess the name Penny makes me think girl because of uh, Inspector Gadget. So <laughs> anyway, user Red Penny said uh, about Wolf Among Us, "You convinced me to try the game. I've seen the comics, but only Green leafed through." We'll look at those two. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Red Penny, <laughs> and thank you for letting my stupid joke live on. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, that was a good comment. Um, I'm thinking about doing this new little segment. Over the last few weeks, well, it's been a few weeks now, but for a while there, I was getting a lot of comics from uh, Cyberspace Comics, our, our good friend on uh, eBay. And because of that, I've completed a couple of other mini-series that I'd been collecting over the last few years. So I, I figured uh, maybe we do a recurring segment where I talk about whatever new series that I've just completed. <laughs> so Go for it. I'm either thinking uh, Collecting with Colby, 
or uh, Colby's got issues. <laughs> I really like the second one. <laughs> and that one came to me the other day. <laughs> so uh, the first one is The Girl Who Would Be Death by Caitlin Kiernan and Dean Ormston, which is a comic I'd never read. Um, I actually com- uh, collected this whole series a few years ago. But a former girlfriend's piece of shit cat destroyed two of, or two issues of them. Oh, <laughs> bad kitty. Bad. I fucking hate that cat. <laughs> well, it's dead now, so I won. <laughs> I mean, I didn't kill it. I mean, like, that's not what I was implying. <laughs> that got dark fast. Yeah. It died of cancer, and I have an alibi. I was in a different state at the time. Okay, okay. <laughs> and this was like five years ago. There's probably just not even need, any need to look into it, okay? okay. How could I possibly give a cat, cat cancer? That doesn't make any sense. It's not like I have some sort of, like, chemistry degree where I would know what to feed a cat that would then give it cancer. And why? Is it hot in here? <laughs> oh, boy. Look, I didn't kill the cat. <laughs> we might come back to that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> anyway, girl, it would be death. Um... I don't know anything about this comic. When I first, I can't remember which issue it is. Maybe it's the first one. When I first saw the first issue, I thought it was like a Sandman spinoff. Um, it looks about, like it could be. Like the, I don't know, the origin of death. But that wouldn't make any fucking sense because the endless don't really have origins. Um, but the little, like the little things on her hands look like onks. And I thought it was like, oh, man, fucking story about death. <laughs> but uh, I think it's just its own thing. So I'm curious to see what that's all about. I like the covers. Yeah, they look cool. Um, I don't know who the cover artist is. It looks like the... No, it's not. Never mind. I was about to say something stupid. And I'm not gonna. (laughs) (laughs) Then the other series that I collected was Scarab, which I had talked about when we did our mystery box um, because we got an issue or two of that that I already had. So I finally went back and got the last issue that I needed from Cyberspace Comics. This is a comic series by John Smith, Scott Eaton, and Mike Barrero? Barrero? Barrero, sure. This really cool covers by Glenn Fabry. And that's all I know about it. Uh, This is one of the ones that we got. Like, embryo cover. Oh, yes. And they just just have weird, cool-looking covers, which is... That describes a lot of Glenn Fabry's work. But I'm excited to finally dig into this, because I've had many issues of this for a long fucking time. And I believe the character Scarab is an old DC character who is somewhat tied into Sandman. Right. I think the character, the Sandman in, uh, the Sandman that shows up in Seasons of Mist, superhero version of Sandman, I think that's Scarab. Oh. Because him and Lyda Hall were both members of Infinity Incorporated back in the 80s, along with Nuculon and the new Hour Man and the new Wildcat the list goes on. Yeah. <laughs> Infinity Incorporated was like a next generation of the Justice Society of America. You can follow along to a similar adventure if you watch uh, the show Stargirl. Which I have not done yet. There's many characters from Infinity Incorporated in that, but they're just called the JSA. Okay. Because that makes more sense. So anyway, uh, <laughs> look, I'd really appreciate it if you'd stop asking me about this cat, okay? <laughs> I didn't say anything. Not me. Just my eyes judging you. <laughs> Alright, um, so we have, what did I do with my phone? There it is. We have an actual thing to talk about today, um, something that's we do interesting <laughs> and fun and not four hours of 
pain. <laughs> Rubbing salt into the wound. Yeah, I shouldn't say pain. I mean, there's worse ways to spend four hours, but there's also way, way, way better. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Again, like watching a clown car pile up. Yeah. But no, um, this is much better, uh, much better conversation, more anticipated yeah. conversation. And it, so today we're going to be talking about the first mini-series that Vertigo did of Human Target. And I recently read the entire series, because this is a weird, fractured collection of stories that, when you look at the numbering of them, it's like, where the fuck do I start? <laughs> because technically speaking, this is this first miniseries is a sequel to the original, like, 70s Human Target series. Because mm-hmm. it's all about him kind of being retired and, uh, well, not really retired. Whoa, I just typed in human on Wikipedia. First thing that came up, human penis size. Oh my! I, the micro penises are, are coming after me. They're not <laughs> not going to let this die. They are. That's not passive aggressive. That's aggressive aggressive. <laughs> just, that's, of all the things to pop up, I, I mean, I. Huh, okay. That's what the internet was made for. <laughs> and I would say, like, I would make a joke about, like, oh, I wonder what I've been searching, but that's not that's not how Wikipedia's algorithm works. It's not like individually tailored. No. Huh, weird. (laughs) Apparently a lot of people are interested in human penis size. Recurring theme throughout history. (laughs) Exactly. So, so yeah, so the original Christopher Chance stories were from 1972 until 1982. Um, And then he came back in, like, one issue in the late 80s, and then the TV special in the early 90s. So this follows the original 70s and 80s series. And I think we mentioned when we talked about the pilot that... uh, it's created by Len Wein and Carmine Infantino. Um, and in fact, his dog in the show is named Carmine. But this is, even though it's a sequel, it's kind of a fresh start because he's moved on and he's kind of semi-retired and all that. But I guess now would be a good time to ask you for the book report. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. Like I was saying before, there are some characters' names that I have Oh, it doesn't matter. I, it's just you know, it's a dude that swaps faces. Dude that swaps faces, lives in Hollywood. Christopher Chance, ladies' man, man's man, man about town. And uh, his his uh, conflict with a protege of his mm-hmm. and his protege becoming lost in another person's identity and losing himself. Meanwhile, there's a very sexy assassin named Emerald who is coming after him, tied into... Uh, there's also uh, gangster themes of the inner city in Los Angeles. There's quite a bit going on in this book. Intrigue and action. <laughs> Mystery. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you you first. What did you think of it? Oh, uh, I fucking love this comic. I, this is one of the first Vertigo comics I read when it was new in 99. So I would have, I would have been like 8th grade, ninth grade. And I remember seeing this first issue cover... So the covers of this series are done by uh, Tim Bradstreet, who's a favorite of mine. He has like a really photorealistic light box style. And I just remember that, that fucking cover of Christopher Chance with his gun out, like standing in profile and just being like, what the, is this like James Bond? Like what the fuck is this? That looks so cool. And the comic shop in my hometown called North Star Comics, not around anymore, had every issue. I mean, it's only four issues, so it's easy to collect, but I grabbed them all and went home and voraciously... Uh, imbibed them does that work voraciously imbibed them (laughs) sounds weird (laughs) Um, uh, devoured that sounds better 
Anyway, <laughs> I uh, read them all, and then years later read the rest of the series. But just now, I read the entire thing all at once. And it's weird, because even though it's so fractured, like, there's a miniseries, then there's a graphic novel, and then there's an ongoing series. But they all tell one continuous story. Like, the story doesn't end here and then restart. It literally just goes right into the next one. And then that one goes right into the next one. Um, in fact, the the persona that Chance has at the end of the graphic novel continues into the main ongoing series. Okay. So if you just pick up issue one of the ongoing series, like, what the fuck is going on? Why is he this guy? Like, why, why does he look like that? Well, who is this backstory? Because um, it's a really fucking complicated story. But uh, I think this is probably the best of the series. This, like, action intrigue story full of mystery and twists and turns and who's who and duplicitous friends and colleagues and enemies and all that. I just think it's really cool. All right. And that's to say nothing of the art <laughs> by uh, Edvin Bajovic? Bajovic? I don't know how to say that, but... Be- wait. Bukovic. Bukovic, sure. Um, anyway, uh, the art's really cool. It is. It is a very well-drawn book, and again, covers are fantastic. And I think, I don't know if I mentioned, Peter Milligan wrote this, and he wrote the entirety of Human Target for Vertigo. Oh, that's right. That's his baby, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the character wasn't created by him, but once he got his hands on it, man, he didn't let up. Well, did, I'm sorry, did you say that Brendan McCarthy is involved in this, too? Uh, I don't know who that is. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought he was. Um, he, yes, you do. He wrote uh, Skin, 1992 Skin. You've probably seen it. If you haven't read it, you've probably seen it. Uh, but he also co-wrote uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, interesting. Um, I thought he was involved with this run of, of uh, Human Target. I don't believe so. No. Is he a producer? <laughs> There's a producer named Brendan McCarthy. Let me look up Fury Road. It's probably going to get me to him more correctly. No. Why aren't you just automatically going to Mad Max Fury Road? There's not other things called Fury Road, you stupid... Wikipedia. Did you mean Fury Road penis size? Because that just automatically popped up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Brendan McCarthy, there we go. Oh, Shade the Changing Man. I thought he worked on Human Target. Um, Oh, he wrote Rogan Gosh. That's a Vertigo book I've been trying to track down. I haven't read that one. Me neither. Oh, oh, he worked for 2000 AD. Strontium Dog, Judge Dredd, man. ABC Warriors, damn. He's written, like, all of the... uh, Cool British comics. Crisis. Yeah, Shade the Changing Man, Skin. So he wrote Skin with Peter Milligan. Oh, okay. All right, all right. Oh, he wrote an issue of Solo. That was a cool DC book. Spider-Man, House of Mystery, one issue. More Judge Dredd. He wrote an issue of Scalped with Jason Aaron. Wrote an issue of Justice League. He has Um, a very... And Dr. Fate! Look at that! You wrote some (laughs) Dr. Fate! a very uh, packed career. And wait, hold on a second. I think he's an artist. Yeah, he's an artist. Never mind. He didn't write any of those. <laughs> he did all the art for those, and he only co-wrote Fury Road. It looks like that's the only thing he's written, although let me double check. He did a lot of covers, though, for like Judge Dredd, Jonah Hex, Dr. Fate, Black Hammer, Kick-Ass. Ooh, Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. That was a cool book. <laughs> Ah, I'm not seeing the other right. Anyway, okay, my I took us down a rabbit hole there. So yeah, um, Brendan McCarthy has nothing to do with this book, but that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Only affiliated with uh, uh, Peter Milligan through other projects. My bad. 
Okay, coming back to the book at hand. So the first issue opens with Chance like surviving an assassination attempt, and you don't really know what's going on here. I mean, you don't even know that's him, I guess. I take that back. Right. <laughs> and then I love that shot of him wearing the like blank white mask while he's talking to uh, Christopher Chance. <laughs> and yeah, it just gets uh, confusing and twisty from there. But um, in the first issue, there's a shootout in a church when he's in, impersonating the preacher. And the way he like spreads his arms, that looks like so John Woo. It does. <laughs> and then the way he like dives and fires two guns at once, like the gun foo in this comic <laughs> is clearly inspired by John Woo. And because of that, it looks really cinematic. And that combined with the art style that's a little reminiscent of Eduardo Rizzo from 100 Bullets. It is. Um, it just it feels like you're watching an action movie. I'm glad you brought that up because I was like, this reminds me of something. And yeah. Yeah. 100 Bullets. That opening shootout in the, well, it's not the opening, but the first big action scene, the shootout in the church just feels so cinematic. I fucking love it. And then um, you get you get to see some of Chance, like meeting uh, with his clients and finding out that he uh, doesn't like to touch people during sex, <laughs> <laughs> which leads to a, a another good action scene and kind of a reveal. Yeah, exactly. So then you you uh, it introduces Emerald as an assassin who's trying to kill Chance, and I love the scene where she gets her fucking finger blown right. off. <laughs> Like, oh, they went there. They did it. Like sexy lingerie and about to cap him. And then she gets her finger shot off and there's just blood sprayed everywhere on the bed and on Chance. And then you, Chance meets Chance. And it turns out that Chance hired Chance to impersonate Chance. Who's the real Chance? Is it Chance or is it Chance? We'll find out in number two. <laughs> but that's what, see, that's what I love about this comic is that, that weird sense of who's who, what makes an identity... And what what makes you who you say you are, mm-hmm. and the, that's the thing about about Christopher Chance is he, especially in the ongoing series, he stresses that he's not impersonating someone. He literally becomes them, and like he changes his mind and his way of thinking to think like the people that he is taking on the persona of. And it's just a really interesting idea of of you know like where do you end and where does someone else begin and all that. Right. Um, I think it's in the first issue. He also talks about. His old sidekick, Luigi. Mm, he does, yes. And then uh, he got a new sidekick named Bruno. And I just love how Bruno is basically just Luigi. <laughs> but yeah. he's just in a, in a different place. Because <laughs> Luigi was an Italian dude who owned a restaurant that Chance hung out in and was kind of his handler. And in this, Luigi is an Italian dude. Or, sorry, Bruno is an Italian dude who owns a restaurant and is his handler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Traded one for the other. Well, and going into this second book, we find out who his student, I guess you could call yeah. him, is. Yeah, so Tom McFadden was a protege of Chance's. So Chance then hired him to impersonate himself. And then there's the question of who is who and who. Oh, and I love how even in issue two, the fight keeps going. <laughs> right. Like, it ends with the reveal, but then the fight keeps going. Like Emerald's still trying to kill him and trying to get away. And I love how she just runs up to the cop. I'm like, oh my God, help me. <laughs> <laughs> Like a bike cop, and then she just grabs his gun and shoots him and kills everyone around. <laughs> she's nothing if not dedicated to yeah. her craft. And she's a really cool character, too. I really like, I think it's an issue, too, when they start to reveal her uh, 
backstory or her, her real life. Right. Or like she's just like a normal mom who has like a, a boring husband who's a writer and she's helping him with this screenplay or novel or whatever uh, with like her real life. And well, I, I've all, I always like the assassins leading a regular domestic life type stories, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I, re- I really like this one specifically because she's not like aloof or using her real life as a front. Like it feels like that's who she really like. She really likes coming home and relaxing with her kid and listening to her boring husband talk about a stupid story and like maybe you should do this instead you know like right. it's, it feels like like that's the real her and that her job is just a job exactly and exactly. so often it's the opposite you know like the oh, the fucking the heartless assassin has to put on this family man face when he goes home or whatever exactly and like in a later episode she talks about like yeah i'd love to have another kid and just stay yeah. home but you know, yeah. I'm the only one making money right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I said she's an attentive mom and a good wife who even brings some of her double life into her husband's writing. <laughs> exactly. Like, isn't it her? Like, she even says, like, because he names his, one of his characters yeah, Emerald. Emerald. She's like, that's a stupid yeah, name. Yeah, that's a dumb one. Nobody, nobody would use that in the real world. <laughs> so, yeah, the characters are pretty well fleshed out in this. Yeah. And I really like uh, Tom also. So Tom McFadden is the, the dude that Christopher Chance like I said, hires to impersonate himself, but he is the um, other side of the coin of chance. Like he, he is what Christopher chance would be if he wasn't able to control himself or to bring himself back from his brief lives because uh, McFadden gets so deep into who he is that he literally forgets that he has another persona that costs him his family, his wife and his kid and all that. And there's, there's a bit of that in here where it's kind of him trying to regain his life. My only big criticism with the series as a whole is you don't see much more of Tom McFadden. He's in this story. He's in one panel of the uh, graphic novel. Spoiler alert, he shows up at the very end at Christopher Chance's funeral. <gasps> but if Christopher Chance dies, then how does the story keep going? <laughs> Who? How? I we guess, didn't find out. I guess you find out. <laughs> and then McFadden kind of comes back towards the end of the main series proper. And I almost feel like like maybe they knew they were going to get canceled. They're like, fuck, we got to bring back McFadden. Because <laughs> yeah. I feel like there was they wanted to do more story with him and they got caught up in other things. But I would have loved to have seen more of him. I, I would have fucking I would have loved to, this to be a two-hander, just the two of them. Because I think they, they've got a cool back and forth. They do, they do. And uh, like you said, it's interesting to see these two men represent different sides of the same coin. I guess that's one of the reasons that this book might have confused me a little bit. I didn't quite make the connection how um, Tom McFadden resuming his identity as the preacher was mm. supposed to help the situation. I'm, I just got the idea that like he couldn't help himself. His cheese yeah. had slipped that far off his cracker that he went back to that life because he didn't know what else. He, he doesn't know how to live life. And that's basically it. He doesn't know how to live his own life. So Chance was giving him a, I guess, more centered life to live for a bit. But we'll, we'll get to the preacher in a minute. Okay. I just, I, there's a part in, I think it's in issue two, where McFadden is in a bar and he is just wandering around the bar gleaning the person, personas of those around him. Right. And, like, his speech changes as he hears someone else talk. I thought it was really cool just to show him, like, slipping and not, not knowing who he, who he is. So he's taking other people's things. Like, Tom McFadden, that's me. Been selling cars for eight years. 
You know something? They're crap. America's got uh, America's forgotten how to construct an automobile, sir, and that's no lie. If you'll excuse me, I've got to shake hands with my Model T Ford. Ha <laughs> ha! And then the guy next to him laughs the same way. So it's like he's stolen his laugh already. Oh, you hear somebody else talk about being a car salesman as he's walking by. So like, oh, he stole that guy's life, and then uh, he's trying to figure out who he is, and he hears some British guy talking about uh, Tottenham and. Oh, Irish guy, excuse me. <laughs> like, roaring Irish. Oh, fucking English bastards! <laughs> he can't help but parrot everybody in the room. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. And so, yeah, then uh, he goes back to... Well, he doesn't go back to Chance. I guess Chance, like, uh, seeks him out after talking to Tom's family, finding out just how really lost he is. And then, yeah, so it starts with Chance impersonating... Uh, a preacher, I guess, was that Chance McFadden? Fuck, I don't even remember now. <laughs> it was uh, McFadden. Okay, yeah. McFadden, yeah. It starts with McFadden impersonating a preacher who is like on this kind of crusade against a drug runner, gangster in his neighborhood. And that's where the whole shootout happens. And then uh, the preacher gets blackmailed because he had an affair. So then the preacher tries to commit suicide. And he's in the hospital. And then that's when Tom McFadden takes up the role of the preacher again. And then he basically turns that into an elaborate suicide ploy for himself. So, right. Yeah, because then he impersonates the gangster to get the gangster to kill the preacher, thereby killing Tom McFadden. <laughs> and then Christopher Chance being there as well. Yeah, it's a big, big round and round thing. It's a wee bit complicated, but... Yeah, but that's that's what I love about the book. Just the weird, confusing who's on first and who's who. And it does pay off narratively. Yeah. One of the things that I wonder how it would play today is, like, some of the optics may not work quite well about, you know, like, a white guy pretending to be a black guy. I thought about that, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, like, it's not like he's just smearing blackface on. Like, it's, it's, liter it's literally supposed to be somebody else. So, like, I, I get it. I just, at this specific time in history, right now, <laughs> it may not work especially well. Because, and it's also a story about identity. It is. It is. I think probably nowadays, looking at it, and you know, who knows, maybe someone, like you said, made the argument back when it first came out. Um, you could argue that um, it's taking these issues of, you know, inner city, inner city poverty and violence and using them to prop up the identity crisis of a white guy yeah, or in uh, you know, Tom McFadden or in Christopher Chance's case, which you'll have to fill me in on this. I didn't get this part in the book either. He's like, so Christopher Chance is so reluctant to step in and do anything. Yeah. He's like, I can't, I can't, I can't. And it's like, dude, <laughs> your protege has basically gone insane. <laughs> People are dying. Um, I didn't really understand his reluctance to step in and try and make the situation right. I think it's because he sees himself as being Tom McFadden. And he realizes how close he got to that edge of losing yourself completely. And in the ongoing series, you see that a whole lot more, okay. where he literally just becomes a different person for a good chunk of it. I think that was his concern, is losing his own mind and trying to save someone else's. Okay. And, uh, and going back to the identity thing, what, like I, since it is a story about identity, I think... That because of that, it works well when contrasting two completely different, not only 
people in uh, social situations, but just different looking. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, I, I think that that's what makes it work, is you see this muscular, middle-aged, or is Tom middle-aged? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> like, a, a white dude become, like, an overweight black preacher. And to see, and, and you know, like, a mercenary, a preacher, white, black, completely different body shapes, you know, full head of red hair, balding, and just to see how, how different the character can become and literally, like, fool his own wife. Right, right. There's a great, I think it's in the first book, there's a, mm-hmm. a great scene where it looks like um, Tom McFadden as Reverend Earl James, is that his name? James, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Is with his wife, Bethany, I think is her name. Anyway, um, there's this really almost tender moment where it looks like they're going to kiss. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's she stops him or he stops it, like, just in time. And when you don't know what's going on, you're like, well, why can't a husband and wife kiss? Yeah. And then you realize later, oh, that even she almost bought into the idea. Yeah, exactly. And again, that's something that also comes up many times in the main story. In the sequel, Final Cut, Chance ends up falling in love with the wife of the dude that he's impersonating. Ooh. And it becomes a whole damn thing. that line gets crossed exactly (laughs) the book does a good job of detailing too how well uh christopher chance has molded tom mcfadden to to an extent that um he even admits that wow you're you're in some ways you're better than me at this yeah yeah like the whole part when um uh Tom McFadden is Christopher Chance almost has sex with April and he has this weird kink of like, you know, I don't like yeah, to be touched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And later on, Christopher Chance is like, I never told yeah. you that. How did you know that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Um, but going back to kind of the possibly problematic optics of it, I think that's also important mm. to show how problematic it can be like when dealing with individual identity. Okay. And I think that I think it's cool that that, that I don't know, like it's it's cool that that can be dug into in that way in this book. Like something else would have either sidestepped it by just like like the TV show, you know, just and it's just fucking bodyguard, <laughs> or uh, or just make him always look like somebody that's similar in height and appearance and skin color and all that. <laughs> and and so I, I I like that that's kind of brought and it's not even necessarily brought up in terms of race. But in terms of like individuality and what makes somebody who they are and, right. and can that like basically like can the soul of a person be copied? Good question. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's a, a question that, that goes throughout the series. And yeah, it's, it's cool. I like that. I think my only major complaint about the book is that it assumes knowledge of Chance's past. Mm-hmm. Like it just assumes that you know who he is. There's not like... And it, I don't necessarily need, like, an exposition dump, but just maybe something. Like, his history and job are passed over super quickly just in order to establish the current status quo. And there's not, like, a scene where he's like, oh, I'm, I'm a human target. I fucking make myself look like people. It's just, <laughs> like, you literally, like, see that before you find out who he is. I don't know. I feel like even in the 90s, this character wasn't that well-known. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Maybe it's just Milligan knowing the character really well and assuming other people's do. But at the same time, it's not enough to really uh, take me out of it because God knows this was my first introduction to the character and I seem to have caught on just fine. You did, you did. I do want to read the rest because honestly, that was my one critique of, of the book too, is that 
I only know about human target through what you've told me. I've never read any of the books before. So jumping into this one, yeah, there wasn't a lot that immediately, I mean, there's, there's, don't get me wrong. There's parts in it that I was like, Oh, that's cool. That's a good reveal. That's a nice little twist. Um, but there wasn't a lot to, um, get me involved in the character of, uh, Christopher Chance. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was my only thing too, is like, I would have liked to have known more about him. So I think it would have made the stakes a little bit higher when he has to step in and, um, you know, pull Tom back from his insane romp. I also love at the beginning of issue three, when Emerald comes back, he's like Christopher Chance is getting a fucking zucchini facial or whatever. (laughs) And she jumps through a window and starts shooting again. (laughs) Emerald Chance. (laughs) (laughs) And they have a big fight again, and she, like, gets her nose crow. Yeah, he headbutts her nose, and she's bleeding from the nose after having a wounded finger that she already had to explain to her family. And then, I can't remember, she, when you see her again with her family, oh, yeah, she's got the bandage on her nose. Right. And they're just, uh, oh, yeah, they're, uh, they're going, they're, like, loading up groceries from the grocery store or whatever, and her husband's like, how about Manslayer? <laughs> she's like, yeah, too obvious. You're right, it's lame, but until I get another name for the hit woman, uh, I've got writer's block. (laughs) (laughs) And then her daughter, my ice cream's cold. If it wasn't cold, it wouldn't be ice cream, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Those touches to her character are, they they do make her character richer. They make the book richer. I wish we'd gotten a little bit more of that for for Christopher Chance, but, you know, it's not bad what is there. But I also like that about Chance because he's the cipher. And, like, his life is a cipher. And I feel like maybe that's supposed to be the reader. Like, that's a reader's job to put a bit of yourself into him mm-hmm. as a cipher and kind of see. Because, I mean, you know, obviously he takes on other people's lives and personalities and all that. And maybe you're supposed to think that he's taking on your life and personality. Or not life, but your maybe thoughts and or mannerisms or speech or whatever. Maybe. Which is something that you can do on the printed page. Because you can, you can give him whatever voice you want. That's true. That's true. That could be. And I don't know. I mean, that's just my own wild, unfounded speculation. <laughs> <laughs> I had a professor in college who used to use that term. Anytime you were reading too much into something, she'd call it wild, unfounded speculation. <laughs> Those can be fun, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and there's a scene of uh, McFadden arranging his own hit. <laughs> Yeah, there's another good scene of him, um, like, he's half in, half out mm-hmm. of his costume. Yeah, yeah, when he's, he goes, he, like, does the, uh, arranges the hit, and you don't know it's him, then, because he's the, the bad guy, the, the gangbanger dude, I, his name I can't remember. Me neither, I admit. But anyway, um, he talks to Emerald to arrange the hit, and then he walks into the bathroom, and you just see pieces of his face laying in the sink. And then that's when you find out that it's Tom. And then he walks out half finished. So everyone in the diner just sees this half black, half white dude walk out and freak out and start shooting the mirrors. (laughs) I can only imagine what they're all thinking. (laughs) He's lost it. Yeah. (laughs) And so this is book. What are we looking at? This is issue three. Issue three. Okay. Because that's when James dies Um, after he has attempted suicide. Well, I guess it was successful suicide. Right. (laughs) Um, 
this is a deviation, but I would just like to note, again, the cool thing about reading um, the comics that you've collected is that you get to see the ads that yes. are in. And there is a terrific <laughs> ad for the Flinch Horror yep. Anthology page 11. <laughs> I, I, just, I just noted that when I went by. I fucking love that cover, because that's the cover of the first issue of Flinch. Oh, that's great. And that was when the Vertigo tagline was, get it? <laughs> <laughs> Someday we'll get around to that one. There's also uh, an ad for Love Street, the <laughs> Sandman Hellblazer spinoff. Oh, cool. It's all about teenage John Constantine going to Fonny Rig in the 60s. That's awesome. Meeting the Burgess, or yeah, Roderick yep. Burgess, whatever. Meeting the Burgess dude and seeing a vision of Sandman. That's awesome. 1968, Morpheus lay imprisoned and Johnny Constantine was on a trip of his life. <laughs> that, uh, that story actually uh, introduced character in Hellblazer, certainly by Peter Hogan, um, who did not write the main series that I'm aware of, but introduces like a side character for Constantine that comes back later in the main book. And I read the main series first, and it's in issue like 180 or something, which was six or seven years after this, this character named, fuck, can't remember. I just want to say Surya, but it wasn't her. Um, anyway, it's, it's like a friend of John's who's like an immortal. And he uh, shows up in this first, and I had no idea. Oh. I, read it, I was like, dude, it's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> he shows up in this storyline in the main story called The Red Sepulchre, I think, where John teams up with all these other magic users that he knows, and then they're almost immediately all killed off. <laughs> oh, wow. And the funny thing about it is that dude, I, fuck, what is his name? It's going to bug the shit out of me. That dude just disappears between issues. Because there's like, if one issue ends with like a group shot of all the magicians, and then the next issue begins with that, but that guy's not there. Hmm. And then all the others die. I'm like, what the fuck happened to him? Right. <laughs> that really annoyed me. When I just recently did my Year Blazer run, that was super noticeable. <laughs> that guy just disappeared. <laughs> Why? Does he ever come back? Nope. Not that I'm aware of. I can't remember his name. That's going to bug the shit out of me. <laughs> this is one magic user named Alba Surya. It wasn't her. There's another one that was a werewolf named... Chalice, I think. Ah, the dude has little fucking glasses on and <laughs> little beard. They insinuate in Love Street that he's immortal or long-lived or something. So then when you see him again in the main series, like, oh, there he is again. And he's still the same age. Doing his thing. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, uh, I will be talking about Flinch one of these days. Maybe. <laughs> It'll come around. <laughs> Uh, so then the last issue of Human Target, again, another fucking amazing cover. All the covers blend the, like, live-action-looking actors or whatever with uh, a Target motif. Mm-hmm. Looks like you're at a gun range or whatever. It plays off really well. Oh, I forgot to mention this. In the last issue, when Emerald's talking to her husband about names, you know, like, oh, Manslayer, and then her daughter's eating the ice cream, and she goes, how about Vanilla. And he makes a joke about that. And I think that's interesting because that's kind of like, that's what she wants. Oh, just vanilla life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good point. Made a note of that and forgot to mention it. Good observation. But so it says like, uh, here, here's what I wrote. It ties into the whole vanilla reference in the last issue because she wants that vanilla life. But regardless, she still sees the world as a killer. Exactly. Yeah. And that she has that line, uh, poverty can be shot down as easy as a man. You just keep shooting till it's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Gives you some insight into yeah. her focus. <laughs> and, you know, speaking of what we were talking about earlier, of just the 
the kind of societal optics of this, like that's a fucking profound statement for today. Oh, <laughs> you know, boy. when we've, I mean, and again, that which just goes back to the fact that what we're dealing with right now in society and, you know, black youth being murdered by the police is absolutely nothing new. Right. And it wasn't new in the 90s when Milligan was writing about this, but that is just a profoundly concise way of putting it. That's essentially what the establishment's trying to do. Just fucking keep shooting till till we're done. <laughs> keep shooting till you're out of bullets. Like, right. Jesus. Still relevant, unfortunately. That's a, yeah, it's a fucking like disgusting thought. <laughs> that that is sadly really true. You know, it's just it's it's sad to see it laid out so plainly and so obviously. And yet there's still a huge segment of society that's trying to ignore it. Right. <laughs> just yeah. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. Yeah, exactly. This also raises the question. So um, they get to the fucking uh, funeral, or is it a funeral? Yeah, funeral, where uh, the assassination of Reverend James is supposed to go. The bad guy has like a change of heart and um, warns him that Emerald is there and big another big shootout. Um, Zack Snyder-ish pose, the, the religious iconography of the bad guy taking the bullets. Like, it fits here. We're in a church. I get it. It's not. Uh, it's not every other character throwing their arms out like they're Jesus for no right. reason. <laughs> so that you get the confrontation between uh, Chance and Emerald, and I like in her like dying breath, he's trying to figure out who hired her. Exactly. Do you know who it was? It's not brought up in here, but it's the answer comes later. Okay. <laughs> I don't know who it was, so who? don't tell me. <laughs> you don't want me to tell you? <laughs> well, no, I'm trying to be really good about spoilers. <laughs> of course I want you to tell me. But like, well, who do you think it was? Bruno? No. <laughs> See, my original thought was that it was Chance himself. Oh, maybe. Maybe. What is it? Do you want to know? Of course I want to know, but don't tell me. It honestly... <laughs> I... I I will tell you, but only because it doesn't impact the rest of the series that much. Okay. And I feel like it should have been answered in here. But it's, I think it's answered in the next volume. And so, like, like I said, I was thinking, oh, it's Chance. He was doing that subconsciously to try to get himself back in the game. Mm -hmm. But that's not true. Um, it was Bruno. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bruno hires her because he sees Chance just um, listless in his life. Wow. That's a hell of a motivation. Yeah. I mean, he, he realizes that, you know, that that's what you need. Um, he, he needs, he needs somebody like that's his life. He's, <laughs> he's created a life where somebody's always trying to kill him. So if he doesn't have somebody trying to kill him, he doesn't have a life and he's just, he's just, uh, withering. <laughs> well, that, that's a really good friend. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I care about you, man. Yeah. You need to get back in the game. <laughs> but I love I love how even like all of the villains in this are sympathetic to a degree. Like, I mean, the two main villains are the gangster dude and Emerald. And obviously she's got a really well fleshed out civilian life. And then he has his whole kind of redemption arc at the end. And I, I think that's interesting that there's like no heroes and no villains. Like every hero in this has some crippling character defect. And then all the villains have things that make them human and, quote, likable. Exactly. Yeah. They're not just 100% uh, cartoon evil. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that continues on in the main series as well. Everyone is that shade of gray somewhere. Mm -hmm. 
So I guess this is a, uh, well, I'll let you give your own rating, but can you think of anything else about this particular series that... Well, like I said, so there's the sequel, Final Cut, that kind of picks up right after this, um, and then the main series keeps going. The main series is interesting because it was one of the first comics post-9-11 to deal with the ramifications of 9-11. And not just like the, like I mentioned last time about the, the comic books that were like, oh, the firefighters are the real heroes and that kind of thing. Because there was a bunch of like 9-11 tie-in comics, like raise money and show like, you know, Superman saluting firefighters and policemen and all that. But this one was like more just societally, man on the street, how that affects them. And there's a, a specific, I think it's the third, it's issue six of the main series. Um I take that back. That's the wrong one. <laughs> That's a different story I was going to talk about. One of the uh, storylines in the main series early on deals with a guy who was supposed to be on one of the airplanes that crashes, and oh. he wasn't. And so he uses that as an excuse to just disappear. Okay. And there's people after him, and he needs a chance to help him kind of get back into society. And it's all about him, like, like coming back to his family and being like, hey, it turns out I'm alive. I'm like asshole like you let us think you were dead for like three years what the fuck where have you been <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and again like it's it's that conceivably should be the hero of the story but he also comes off as just a total selfish prick <laughs> yeah. yeah interesting and there's a really really good i think this was issue six a really good issue where chance is hired to impersonate a priest who some crazy dude keeps trying to kill him and Chance is trying to figure out why, and like you know, he's impersonating the priest, and gets the guy, and finds out that the dude that's trying to kill him was abused by the priest as a kid, and so he's coming back and trying to get revenge. And it's got a great like ending where Chance is like, "Like you can't, I can't let you kill him because like that's that's my job. Like I'm I'm protecting him. You just need to get the fuck out of here and just leave, start a new life, try to make yourself better. Because then because of that, this dude's life just turns to shit, and he's like a drug dealer and beats women and whatever and so it ends with then the priest getting killed by that dude and bruno's like yeah that's so weird because uh the dude that killed him like like actually like showed his face to security cameras and knew how to avoid all that but didn't it's like it's interesting how uh it's almost like he did that so that he could be caught and Chance is like, yeah, that's weird. I don't know. I don't know how he did that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want me to say? So played the uh, the victim and the, the killer in the same story. I thought it was cool. All right. There's also a fun baseball one where he learns how to play baseball. Okay. And it's it's constant, like, it's constantly him being like, I fucking hate baseball. <laughs> like, I fucking hate sports. I hate baseball. This is stupid. Yeah, I don't know. Teach me how to hit. Whatever. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> and he... he like, uh, he's impersonating this player who's, like, past his prime. Like, his joints are all used up and he's constantly in pain. But Chance watches old footage of this guy in his prime playing baseball. And he learns how to mimic his movements so well that then when he gets up to bat, he's doing better than the dude did originally or is doing now. <laughs> he's like, dude, like, you hit a home run. Like, I can't do that right now. I've got to come back to this life. <laughs> Tone it down. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> All right. So I think it would uh, it would benefit, um, well, it would definitely benefit me to read more of them to get further into the Vertigo series. Yeah, it's a cool series. The art is wildly inconsistent. Well, I shouldn't say wildly. This is the only um, story 
that Edvin Bjokovic, Bjokovic, sure, um, did. And he's by far my favorite artist. So none of the other artists to me are like, they're fine. But there's a really weird jump in art between this and Final Cut because it's got almost like an animated style to it that just feels odd to me. So I think this one's still my favorite of all the storylines. Okay. But the others are fun too. And again, a very consistent storyline and tone throughout. Well, I would like to read the the entire Vertigo series then to get more of a feel for the character and to uh, generate more of a uh, reader-character relationship, so to speak. Just watch the Rick Springfield show. (laughs) (laughs) That'll take me right there. This is basically a perfect adaptation of the Rick Springfield show. All right, then. (laughs) If you ever needed a reason for more Rick Springfield in your life, and on that note... (laughs) So what? Is, so what did you? What are you? What's your rating for it? Well, now I have Jesse's girl stuck in my head. Um, anyway, what's your rating for Jesse's girl? <laughs> is this a Jesse's girl or a Jesse's girl not? <laughs> or Jesse's ex? Jesse, yeah. Jesse's <laughs> um, I see. I I'm waffling on this one. It goes between a vertigo and a vertigo slow for me because there's things I liked about it, but at the same time, like we previously discussed there was aspects of it that I felt as a newbie coming to human target and reading my first human target comic books. Um, I wasn't able to relate to the character as well. Um, so that's like a vertigo slow-mo. Slow go. Slow go. Verta slow go Smith. Remember him? <laughs> Should I? Way back in Jonah Hex. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah, well, the old blind gunslinger throws his guns at people. <laughs> you do what you gotta do. It's killed by the zombie uh, Wild Bill Hickok. Remember? There's so much about that movie. That's... No, the book. Oh, the book. The the book. Comic. Oh, yes, the comic was fantastic. Uh, read that one. No, Slogo was the old guy that that saves Jonah at the beginning. That's right. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Yeah. He was. Yeah. It's it's kind of like that for me. Although I really like that character. Um, no, I would say, I would say, I would encourage people to go ahead and give it a try. Um, I want to read the rest of them in this run so that uh, I, again, I, I can better get to know the characters and get deeper into the story. Um, and I would encourage people to go and find an excellent character description and history on um, a website that you might have heard of, comicbookmedia.com. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, your entry on that actually got me excited to learn more about Human Target. And um, I guess maybe that's why I'm a little bit like Virtus Slow because you're, the way you talked about him got me really hyped for him and I didn't feel like he quite lived up to your description. Well, and maybe but, that's what I was talking about earlier with like the projecting my own idea on what the character was which again if there's ever a character to do that for it would be him absolutely (laughs) yeah but on on the human target wikipedia page it uh lists literally every single appearance of him in every issue of action or detective comics or brave and the bold or whatever so technically speaking you could if somebody was was so inclined they could track down every issue of this and read them before the vertigo series true you've got a lengthy history to choose from so you know everything about 
realistically, there's not that much here. It's what, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 issues over the course of like 15 years. And that's the that's not that much. the ongoing Vertigo comic has more issues than that. There you go. So I mean, I if you if you add up all the Vertigo comics, there's more of a human target story than that. Right. And I'm pretty sure most of these are backup stories. So that's like five pages. <laughs> <laughs> you can breeze right through them. Yeah. I wish they would collect the. I, I don't know. Maybe they have. I was gonna say I, I wish they would uh, collect the old stuff, but now that I think about it, I'm not sure that I've ever really checked. Not Mortal Kombat Conquest. <laughs> I don't want anyone to know that I just bought that. <laughs> Did you really? Yes. Okay. Have you ever seen it? I have not. The old live-action TV show from the 90s. Yeah. It was a live-action Mortal Kombat TV show in the 90s. How long was it on? Um, probably a season. I don't know. Hmm. Just stop judging. All right. No, it's all good. <laughs> At least you're not killing people's cats. Hey, I didn't kill a cat. <laughs> Um, collect, god damn it, I keep typing the wrong thing, collected. Let's see if there is any classic human target. No, no, not even close. X-Men, no. Dude, they're not even listening to the fucking Vertigo stuff. What no. the fuck, Amazon? All sorts of stuff that don't pertain. You got Dorothy Parker. <laughs> um, she ties right in with human target. <laughs> Let's try human target DC. Maybe. HPV. <laughs> Preventing, or sorry, painting a target on HPV. Well, there's, a first, there's one issue of the, what we just read, and there's Final Cut for $11. It's not bad. Uh, oh, no. I don't know what that is. Hmm. Looks like it's tied in with a TV show? I can't. Oh, it could be. What Ooh. the fuck? Is that a poster? It is. <laughs> oh, okay. Stylish indoor decoration. <laughs> <laughs> sure, this is just riveting listening. <laughs> oh, there's the TV special. The Rick Springfield one. Is that really? Yep. That was the issue that came out. To, like, uh, Human Target TV special. Coming soon to ABC. Oh, okay. And then there's the uh, 2010 TV special. It ties in very well. That one was actually written by Lynn Wein. Oh. Who was the creator of the character. Yeah. So that was fun, but that book kind of sucked. <laughs> Alas. Uh, lots of issues. They don't have much collected stuff. That's stupid. I don't see any collected There's stuff. There's a fucking cyborg, Lego Dimensions. That's what I clicked on, yeah. <laughs> Lego Batman. What does Human Target have to do with Lego? As much as it does with HPV. Yes. <laughs> At least that, that book had Target in the title. <laughs> I, I get it, kind of. <laughs> yeah, so there was also a six-issue TV tie-in comic book that was just published by DC Proper, which I only read the first issue of. I didn't really care. Oh, this issue, too. Look at that cover. This is a story about human trafficking over the Mexican border, and it's literally a picture of a kid in a cage. And that came out in 2005. Like, yeah, so... A lot of the social issues of this were well ahead of its time. Yeah, <laughs> horribly prophetic. Yeah. So, yeah, so Vertislow-ish to you. Yeah. It's a big Vertigo for me, man. I fucking love this character and story and all that. It's just like it feels like an action movie in a comic. And uh, I think that's really fun. Because, Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, there is enough there that makes me want to read more. And I think I will 
have a better appreciation for it when I read the Vertigo run. Yeah. And to me, it's, it's interesting because comics are about action, you know? I mean, like, the whole reason you're reading about fucking superheroes and stuff is, is to see the punches and the flights and the buildings getting knocked over or whatever. And yet, so little of action in comics really feels cinematic. Like, it, it feels like that should be an easy comparison, you know? Right. Movies are pictures and words. Comics are pictures and words, you know? And it, you feel like that should be an, a natural uh, crossover. But rarely does that actually work. Like, rarely does a comic translate perfectly on the screen and does cinematic action translate perfectly on the page. And I feel like this was probably, if not the best, one of the best I've ever seen. Holds hands pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely give you that. Well, I guess we're at the end of the show time. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe. Share with all of your friends. Follow us on Twitter at Vertigo Voices or Instagram Vertigo Voices. Or email us at the address vertigovoices at gmail.com. Love letters, hate mail, general questions. If I have to hear one more thing about a micro penis, I'm going to fucking lose it. <laughs> But so this, I mean, it seems like a bit, but no, I actually did get a message about this. Wow. Really? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm not going to give the person's name, like I said. It's, that would be, that would be wrong. I'm not uh, trying to make anyone feel bad about their body. Nope. And, we respect uh, people's privacy here. <laughs> I've learned my lessons, so <laughs> no more jokes about teeny, tiny, little, wimpy penises. <laughs> We should just state that if you do have a micro penis and you like Frank Miller, it's okay. It's but, okay. It, but is it? <laughs> now, if you agree with his crazy politics, you might have to ask yourself some hard questions. Because well, then it's getting into the whole chicken and egg kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what came first? Um, well, probably not the micro penis. <laughs> Send the actress to the bishop. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, so next week, next week we're doing a special episode all about micropenises. No, um, all about um, uh, uh, vertigo adaptations, what we want to see. Right. If you have any that you can think of that you'd like to see, uh, excuse me. If you have any that you would like to see turned into a film or a series, let us know. Yeah. And we'll probably ignore it and just talk about what we want to talk about. Because <laughs> <laughs> so. it's our podcast, yeah. damn it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I only read all the Snyder stuff last time because I felt like I owed you people. But no more! <laughs> You've taken enough of his life as it is. <laughs> he can't give any more to Zack Snyder. There's nothing left. <laughs> All right. Um, I think we're done. We're good. Hashtag release the Zemo cut. <laughs> yeah, go and watch that. That'll make your day feel better. All right. See you next week. Bye-bye.